When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. It is film study as we're going to look back at week 13, which is a fun, uh, fun week as the Ravens. Now we get to look at the Ravens being a top with the number one seed. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? You all dry from Sunday night? Life's good, Josh. Yeah, it was a it was a is a wet day and a cold day. I tell you what, you really feel it in your hands having the wetness and no gloves and uh, didn't have any gloves that uh, stayed dry, at least. <laughs> that's that's it looked horrible watching the game on TV. It didn't look like it was fun to stand on the sideline or in the stands with that type of rain that was coming down. Yeah, there you go. We've had now like four rain games the last two years, which we're on a, on a tough streak here because there have probably been about that many in Ravens history before this. Not, not too many, but uh, fortunately they've been, they've been good results for the Ravens. Right. At least it was a game worth sitting through. And uh, joining us today, back is Sarah Ellison. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing well, and I, I never got wet. I watched it from, you know, the warm, dry living room of, of my home. So uh, I, I give a shout-out to all Ravens fans who went out there screaming in the wet, soggy weather. All right. 
See, Sarah pointed that out. I wasn't going to point out that it was 80 degrees and sunny down here on Sunday. <laughs> and, and Sarah's talking about her living room only. She did have to get Sunday ticket to get the game there, or did you did you get it without having to do a real No, I have, I have Sunday ticket. I paid the arm and the leg for that, but I had to do it. Living in, in Ohio, I'd probably get maybe about half the games, and that's half too few for me. So There you go. Right, and I had to do the same thing, or it was watch the Jags game, and that's it. Because nothing no. else was on on TV down here on Sunday. Well, I've heard they've had some excitement down in Jacksonville. I heard Gardner Minshew was declared the starter for the rest of the season. Yeah, apparently that whole <laughs> Nick Foles thing didn't work out. All right. But let's talk about Ravens. Let's talk about Sunday. And now that the Ravens are on top, their odds are even better for playoff and even beyond. Yeah, it, really at this point, everything is in front of this team. Um, they They are in position to get the number one seed. They are at the top of the heap in terms of all metrics. There won't be a power ranking that comes out this week, which doesn't have them as a number one seed. At least I do not believe that will be true. Maybe a very misguided power ranking. Not that anybody cares. They've beaten every meaningful Super Bowl contender they could, with the exception of Kansas City. They've they've played them now twice in Kansas City the last two years and lost those games. Uh, The funny thing is that as much as they have done now, John Harbaugh kind of says this exact same thing when he says we haven't done anything yet. They still likely need to win the next seven straight games to hoist the Lombardi. At least it's the easiest path. They might be able to do it a different way by losing a game than winning one in New England, say, or winning on the road in the AFC Championship. But uh, they really, the easiest way for them to get there is to win seven straight games, not lose the number one seed during the regular season, win three straight playoff games, including a neutral site game at Miami. And uh, and finish it off that way. So while they've they've climbed a mountain already, there's still a, a an even bigger task ahead of them. Yeah, well, I don't know that I'd go that far that they have to win all seven. Especially, I mean, you know, they could drop one here in the last four and still still be fine and do it. That that said, they're certainly capable of winning all seven given what they've done. I think what's great about not only having the top seed, which by the way has never happened in Ravens history. So just put that into perspective. Not only are they there, but usually when there's somebody at top, you can say, well, but they've, there's a well, but. And I don't think you can do that with the Ravens. I mean, nothing has been given to them. Everything has been earned. They've swept the NFC West, probably the NFL's best division. They are, if you look at it by win percentage. They've, they've had the longest win streak in the NFL. They're 10 and two for the first time in team history. Then, then these Super Bowl contenders, Seahawks, you win by 14, Pats, 17, Bengals, 36, te- Texans, 34, Rams, 39, 49ers just by three. But that may have been the best win because now you're testing the Ravens' medal. You, you have all these blowout wins, but you've tested this medal in the rain. They, Lamar Jackson, these guys, all the defense, especially in the first half, they did not have their best game, yet they probably beat the best team outside of themselves in the NFL. That is saying a lot because they didn't. They, they couldn't rely on athleticism and talent. They relied on on toughness and determination. And those are the types of games that just build a personality. Uh, excellent, excellent win for the Ravens. Yeah, a very, a very big physical team that's built extremely similarly to the way the Ravens are. They probably mm-hmm. even have better skill position blockers, although it's a tight call. They have Juszczyk and Kittle versus what the Ravens have at tight end and Ricard. It's close. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
The big difference between the two, and I think the offensive lines, even with the 49ers having a guy hurt, are fairly similar in terms of talent. Of course, the Ravens are missing one, too. But the big difference, of course, is Lamar Jackson. That they, they, they don't have anybody like him to loosen the playing field, to create these read option disasters for the defense. And, uh, and that was really the difference in this one uh, as it turned out. 100% agree. All right. Big step forward in terms of the DeVoe metrics we mentioned earlier and, and the likelihood to, to, uh, to win the Super Bowl, to win the AFC. I've been looking at both, but, uh, you know, it's something to look forward to on Monday and, or on Tuesday again when they finalize it for the week. But on Monday, they have it out initially. Uh, Football Outsiders playoff odds page um, is there, and they now have the Ravens at approximately 32% to win the Super Bowl for the first time now, the favorite. Well, first time the favorite, and what's wonderful about that, Ravens are 32%. Number two is New England, half the probability at 16.3%. So it's a big drop off. Um, Ravens Ravens are looking good. On top of that, uh, here's what's crazy is we're in the first week of December, and we're also already talking about uh, clinching scenarios. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's there's six different ones already. I won't go through all of them, but they can clinch a playoff berth just by winning, uh, along with some other scenarios. But that that's the biggest one is by winning. Then they can clinch the AFC North in early December by winning and Pittsburgh um, losing or tying or Baltimore tying and Pittsburgh losing. I mean, it's right. it's just one of those magical seasons where you can talk about clinching in early December. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, particularly in terms of Super Bowl talk. We're not at all getting ahead of ourselves in terms of the AFC North. The, the magic number, as you message, me, uh, uh, mentioned, is really two against the Steelers. Any combination of, in this case, Steeler losses or ties and Ravens wins or ties, totaling two, gives them the division. And the other way, they actually can do it with only one if everything goes wrong. If the Ravens fall apart and Pittsburgh all of a sudden catches fire— and all the do is the the Ravens do is beat the Browns in Week 16 and lose all their other games. They still will win the division. So yeah. they only need one in that particular case. So uh, well positioned at the least, I think we would say. And uh, I, I, one of the things I did was I looked at the AFC alone, and I compared the Football Outsiders odds to what gambling markets are saying in the UK. And so gambling markets in the UK say to win the AFC. The Ravens a 41.1% chance. And that's, you take the odds, you factor out the VIG that's involved in that, and I get down to 41.1%. New England at 32.6%. Again, the gambler saying that. Kansas City, 11.8%. So those are the big three. Football Outsiders says Kansas City, 11.7%. So almost a break even, almost exactly what the odds should be on that team. New England, 30.1%. The implied odds are 32.6%. So you're not getting a good price on that. But the Ravens, 52% by football outsiders to, mm. to go to the Super Bowl, to 52% to win the AFC versus 41.1% that is implied by the odds when you take out the VIG. So that's, that's very impressive. And if you go down the, the list, the Ravens are the only team that is, quote unquote, smart money at this point by the football outsiders um, model. So it's an interesting, uh, interesting situation there is and one that uh, – just riding the top of the wave right now. I am not a big gambler. I think I played cards in high school with a group of friends once. So I don't know much about it, but I know those odds are very, very good. 
But here's here's a question for you. So we we had looked at before the the football outsiders uh, the chances for the the Ravens to win the Super Bowl, which we said was thirty two point six percent. You don't have to creep very far down to get to number four, which is San Francisco, twelve point six. Would not surprise many people if there's a Super Bowl re- rematch. My question to you is, if there is, who wins it? Well, I think in in a in a lot of ways that will be a new game. So I don't think the the 49ers are going to be able to come out of this game learned what they did. And, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit later because obviously it's a little frustrating to have as many successful outside runs as Mm -hmm. San Francisco had. But there was some mitigation of that, especially towards the end of the game. I'm going to get into that. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's that much given these conditions, given the way. Uh, you know, what they were able to do with Jackson. They were obviously would point to it and say, hey, we're getting people back. Ford will be back. Staley will be back. Brita will be back. We'll have additional players the next time. And, you know, I'd, I'd point to the fact that, yeah, but we'll have Lamar Jackson under dry conditions for the Super Bowl. That, that's exactly my point. I, I agree that the, the San Francisco was, was down with those injuries. Um, if you look at it, though, I think that Garoppolo, this is getting into the offensive side, but Garoppolo was averaging about a hundred passer rating and Lamar was a little bit higher. And then against the Ravens, Garoppolo moved up to 110 and Lamar Jackson moved down to, what was it? 80. Um, but he, he, he definitely dropped. And so to me, um, yeah, San Francisco was playing more at their normal self. I, I don't feel like the, the, the conditions affected Garoppolo as much as it affected uh, Jackson. And, and because of that, I just, I agree in Miami uh, with, with, with better weather, I think that you um, are going to have a Ravens win. And I, and I think it, it won't even be as close. Right. I, and I, I think it'll at least be warm. It'll be certainly weather that Jackson is used to at the least, but it should be also a good possibility of having a dry night where, Right. They'll have a you know a good opportunity. So anyway, I, I I do think it'll be a different game. I think that the the 49ers do match up pretty well in terms of being able to exploit the Ravens' edge if the Ravens play tight. We'll get into some of that a little later, but uh, but I agree, different game, different date, different game if it comes up again. One thing that was interesting to me about this game was the way the Ravens went very heavy into this game in terms of their active personnel. This is unusual. But for the first time, it might, have, might not be the first time this year, but they had six defensive linemen active. What was the first time that I can remember ever is four of them are effectively nose tackles. Mm. Pecco, Ellis, Williams, and Pierce. And they, they suffered with a sacrifice, I would say, to, by only having eight defensive backs active for this game. So they had Levine, who didn't play a defensive snap. And they also had, what's the guy's name? I always forget it. Jordan Richards, the special team or teams player, uh, who in theory could have come in a defensive back to do uh, to play as well. But they had six defensive linemen, and they really didn't need them all active. In fact, Ricard did not play a defensive snap in this one. Yeah, I, that's true. He, he, he went down. Harbaugh was asked about that um, in his Monday presser, uh, and he basically said it was – you know, he went with the heavier personnel for a few reasons. One, San Francisco has a much heavier personnel, so they wanted to match that. I think um, they knew, obviously, besides the Ravens, the, the 49ers have the best rushing attack uh, in football. 
So you got to match that up. And then he knew the, knew what the conditions were going to be, and it would probably be more run heavy. And so uh, they went into that with the heavier personnel for those reasons he said. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, if I had to pick one other, I'd say that they probably considered the risk of injury in this game, given the conditions, and said, mm. we can't afford to be short at defensive linemen. Let's just have one extra there. And, and it's less of a risk in the secondary to have an issue, I- injury on the field. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, so one of the things, obviously, that frustrated us as Ravens fans in this game is that there were just a number of run breakdowns against the 49ers. So they, they ran eight total runs of six-plus yards in this game, Oof. and which seems like a lot, except the Ravens had 13 such runs. Right. <laughs> eight by Jackson right. and five others by Ingram. So it's, it, there's, like, there's some give and take there. The, the San Francisco ones were longer because the yardage was almost equivalent and they, they, you know, in total, and they, the Ravens had all, all theirs seemed to be between 10 and 20 yards or 10 and 18 yards, I think. But the San Francisco ones seem to start at about that level. Uh, it it the, the the it was bad. The first half was bad. Uh, I mean, we'll get in we'll get into to you know the second half getting better, and and I'm sure that we will point some fingers. I definitely have one big one to point, although it's a team effort when you when you give up that many yards. But be, before pointing any fingers or anything like that, I do want to hit on which you already kind of hit on a little bit this san francisco blocking unit like you said is very similar to the to the ravens ravens fans know what kyle use can do and uh that's your patrick ricard he went out and got the highest money for a fullback you got to respect that they have a kyle use they had um blocking wide receivers downfield their offensive line my goodness was was so very good um, was it Brunskill, Brunskill and McGlinchey. Yes. Okay. And then saving the best for last, um, George Kittle, that man, I cannot tell you how many times his name was called, um, on Sunday. And you would think if you were going to hear his name a lot, you'd think you'd be in the passing game, but instead he was an insane blocker. He was your Nick Boyle and a few other guys rolled up into one. I mean, he was, he, he, I can remember one time he had Ferguson with one arm and then got Chuck Clark with another, took them both out on the same play. He threw Patrick Owasu on one play so hard into Wormley that it collapsed a whole side. Um, he, Judon is, is a great player. He's a big man. He's going to get paid big money. He completely took Judon out of one play. So sometimes, even though you want to point the figure finger, and I'm sure we will, Sometimes you just have to give it up and say, that was a good team. That was yeah. great personnel, good scheme. It was just hats off to the 49ers and their, and their blocking schemes and their, and their people. George Kittle was, was off out of this planet for me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement on that. My article basically goes through a lot of this, has a lot of these reasons in it. I, I encourage people to go back because I want you in particular to be able to look at the individual plays with the timestamps go back. But a lot of what Sarah is saying is right on the money. Uh, they, they do so many things well, but Brunskill is a replacement for Staley, and he's a, a quality NFL starting left tackle. Mm. And he stepped in. I mean, no teams, there's no team other, otherwise in the NFL that I'm aware of that has three tackles as good as the 49ers. McGlinchey was a guy the Ravens really wanted to draft. Uh, I guess it was a couple of years ago, maybe when they got Humphrey. Uh, McGlinchey, they thought might last long enough. He didn't even come close to lasting long enough and was gone. 
Um, uh, I may be wrong about the year. It might have been might have been in the James year, but anyway, he went number nine, and they never they never had a chance at him. Um, McGlinchey had two highlight blocks among the eight plays. Brunskill had an unbelievable job getting in front of a play where he'd already thrown a block in the backfield. Uh, Lakin Tomlinson, uh, also an excellent player there at left guard, and he had a he had a big key block. But they made block after block. What I noticed in their in their offensive line is they're a model of looking for work. So they make a block, they're immediately looking for their next mm, block. Yeah. I love to see that. I see it from the Ravens a good amount, but I, they're just not as religious about it. The guy who's best at it on the Ravens is Ronnie Stanley, and mm-hmm. and and the uh, the. 49ers, it's like they've got five guys who are all on an equivalent level in terms of looking for that next block. So, uh, you know, it's, it's it, obviously it was mostly them getting it done to match up. And and all of these plays, you know, it's three or four quality blocks that had to be made to get the edge as wide open as it was. Right. For what's a very pedestrian running back. You know, Mostert was a guy who was cut by the Ravens. <laughs> right, and, right. And, uh, I think he is a track up. star, though. Great to put him out on the edges. That was smart. He just, yeah. he is a track star from from his college days. Yeah, and you and you mentioned the edges. I mean, obviously, the Ravens had all of these nose tackles effectively active. The 49ers completely stayed away from the inside. Only one of their long runs came to the inside, yeah. and all the other ones were were on the outside the tackle. So they were. They were definitely avoiding the size and and doing did just an excellent job of it. Um, well, and 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 so that's 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 a good point. I've I've seen well, I've seen kind of two things with this on on Twitter today. One saying, okay, well, you know, people are going to start replicating this. Okay, well, and and I would too because because of the point you just made. You've got uh, Brandon Williams and you've got Pierce who are just run stuffers. And then you've added Pecco, who didn't have a great game, but, you know, it's another big body. And 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 so would you take your chances against those guys on the inside, or are you going to take your chances with somebody like Ferguson on the outside? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so, so why wouldn't people try to, to replicate it? That said, while I think other teams will and should, it's, it's not going to be, okay, it's, it's, Done, no problem, because one, you have to have the personnel. Not everybody has a George Kittle. Not everybody has a Kyle Juszczyk, number one. Number two, the Ravens complete, I mean, significantly tightened up uh, at a, basically the second half, but it was, you know, kind of with, you know, early third quarter. They let yeah. out two big runs in the third quarter. And so, you know, I broke down the, the numbers today. I put it on Twitter. First half, Ravens gave up 13 rushes, 119 yards for 9.2 yards per carry. Okay. Second half, they had more rushes, 16 rushes, fewer yards, 55 yards, drops from 9.2 yards per carry in the first to 3.4 yards per carry in the second. Okay. And they were still trying to run to the outside. So Ravens figured out a way to adjust and tighten up against this personnel. So I say, I get it. Try to replicate it in the future. I would do that too. But number one, you don't have the same personnel. And number two, under Wink Martindale, the Ravens are amazing both in the season and within the game at adjusting. Yep, exactly, exactly true. They are fantastic in season and in game. And and the seven last rushes, you mentioned the timing, and some of this is in the article as well, but you mentioned the timing, but 10.58 of Q3 was the last big run, which was RR9 by Mostert. The, he had, on the previous play, I believe, he had RR18. So they had two big plays in a row there early in the third quarter. The last 25 minutes of the game, they ran seven times to the outside for 
five minus three, three minus three, 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 and three. <laughs> and there so you they, go. They, they really got it, got it stopped. And the big change that the Ravens made to get there was to basically limit Ferguson's snaps down the stretch. And I didn't include that in the article, but I did I did notice it later in the day. So in the first half in the first half, Ferguson missed only four snaps. And I'm gonna tell you how many they had in just a moment in the first half. Uh, taking out two for penalties, 26 snaps in the first half. They also had 26 in the second because they had 52 for the game that were non-penalty snaps. In the second half, Ferguson played only 14 snaps. There may have been a penalty or two included in there. Nope. Played 14 snaps, all non-penalties. So he played a much lower percentage of snaps in the second half. They used Ward more, and Ward did a better job of getting that stopped up. So. Okay. That was really the trick to get it going again. And they did, They did. by the way, Ferguson came back in on that last drive, and they used him. Uh, they, they did run to the outside again three more times to test him, and uh, all for three yards. So uh, he did a he, – he, he came back more rested. I think they were probably a little bit wider it, as the game moved on to just make sure that he wouldn't lose the edge. They might have had him out the game. We're even talking about to him about, you know – what you need to do technique-wise to change your edge play here against this team, but uh, but anyway, it was uh, it, definitely they got it they got it solved in game, which was fantastic, and that's uh, that is the Martindale trademark at this point. Yeah, and I'll hold off because I know that we're gonna hit Ferguson and the individual parts, but I have a breakdown based off of your eight plays that you outlined. Go ahead, hammer. What's that? Go ahead, hit it now. Oh, hit it now. Okay, so uh, I mean, I I didn't have time to go through every single run because. Mm-hmm. I saw them running right at Ferguson frequently. They identified him and they went after him. And so I couldn't go through all of the plays. So what I did is I took your eight where they ran six plus or more. And I watched every one. And I said, how many of these were they running at Ferguson? Okay. So um, it's, it's basically of the eight, I think it's five or six here, but I have, so the Ravens gave up total 174, and and this isn't this might be not fair because other guys missed tackles too. I mean Marcus Peters missed tackles, um, Earl Thomas did. So this isn't all on Ferguson. I don't want to be completely unfair to him, but generally speaking, 174. They told the total rushing yards the Ravens gave up. They gave up 136 of those are on those eight that you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Okay, of those 136, the plays that they ran in Ferguson's direction. Gave up 91 yards. Okay, I've got one. Yards. I've got 108 where he's included in the play that I've that I've talked okay. about. Okay, I'm going to give you the action verbs. Uh, Usechek sealed Ferguson. Yeah, McGlinchey teed up Ferguson. Uh, McGlinchey sealed Ferguson. Tomlinson trapped Ferguson. That's a bad one. Usechek cut Ferguson. And pure person pancake Ferguson. I was waiting for the pancake. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and I'll add another one. There was All one right. where he was completely confused, just Uh-oh. lost lost track of the ball. Um, so yeah, I mean that was that was definitely the culprit. And again, like you said, they did put in um, Ward Ward more, but Ferguson was out there also in, in the second, and so he he maybe it was getting a breather or whatever. But um, again, it's a team effort. But but Ferguson was a big culprit. Yeah, I think obviously he's got a lot of growth as a player to do that. Some of it is weight related. A lot of it is technique related and just understanding how to deal with what the opposing players try to do to you rather than just think about how do I get into the backfield? How do I penetrate? How do I get to the quarterback? 
you know, there, there's other things about football he's still got to learn as well. Yeah. So, a talented young player. I mean, we we all love the development he's had this year, but this was a this was a uh, uh, a little bit of an embarrassment against the run here. Yeah, he'll get he'll get better, and and I I I say that mostly uh, because of the talent and because of the way his coaches talk about him versus the other outside linebackers that they talked about, which seemed that they really had no hope for quite a while. And they, they see a lot of potential in Ferguson. I do too. Uh, he does, he just, he's got, I mean, this is where the Ravens miss Terrell Suggs sealing that edge. Yeah. He's so he's got the size. I know they like that. I think they also probably like the coachability a little bit more than yep. they like the, 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 in the, in the other two uh, parties that have been mentioned over time. Yes. Uh, ready to talk packages. I'm ready. Okay, so very interesting stuff from the Ravens. Yeah, I know you listened to Harbaugh's thing. I was a little gratified that he that he hit on a on a I was too. <laughs> happy topic of my own. So the Ravens coming into this game had only played their base defensive package thirty three non penalty snaps the entire season. In right. this game, they ran the base package twenty two times, by far the most in any in, of any game this year. Something you want to say about it? Because I've got one. Well, other- well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, Harbaugh talked to about it. Um, he may score it a little bit different. Um, and I noticed on Twitter you talked about maybe he added in the jumbo nickel. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically he was saying, yeah, w- the base we had played, um, what do you say, 32 times, and he felt like they basically matched it in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think there's there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, they had to live in it. Um, Part of the reason is, again, that the personnel and, and, and the rushing attack that San Francisco presented. Uh, the other part, and a big part, is the, the 49ers got out to a lead. <laughs> and uh-huh. it's, it's been the reverse for the Ravens. I can't, uh, got it, I don't know, I've got the numbers somewhere, but I think it's the first time the Ravens gave up a touchdown on uh-huh. the opening drive. And then it, there hasn't been many times where the Ravens' offense did score a touchdown on their opening drive. So they're down 7-0 early. It's a tight game. And I think what the, the Ravens like to do when they get that lead is you force the, the opponent to become one-dimensional. And then you can bring in your dime package, for example, more often, or maybe even quarter or whatever. And the Ravens just couldn't do that. And the strength of their team is their defensive backs. So with without that early lead or being able to make them one-dimensional, I think they were forced, plus just two San Francisco, as they were forced to stay in that base package. Yep, exactly, exactly as I would I, I would say it, is the, the, the not being able to stop the run and getting behind in the game. They, they made the point on the broadcast they'd only been 22 minutes trailing in the during the entire winning streak. So that tells you they're, they're scoring first a lot and they're holding that lead. The uh, last so- time the Ravens trailed was... I think it was the second quarter of the Seattle game. Hmm. Yeah, they were down 10-6, weren't they? Or or 7-3, maybe, one of those two. Either, anyways, it wasn't much. In either, either time, they weren't down for long, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, so definitely, that, that's been a that's been a big factor in terms in terms of, of of keeping that base package on the field. You you usually have to use it when you're behind and the other team is trying to run out the clock. That's the most common time. In this case. They really had two different formations, and 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 you mentioned base base package, of course, and also jumbo nickel, where you play a third defensive lineman and sacrifice an inside linebacker to do it while staying in the nickel. So that they played nine times in this game. So there were thirty-one total snaps with three defensive linemen. What that did for the Ravens, it, it forced them 
the reemergence of an actual five tech role yep. on this team. So that meant that Wormley got a lot of playing time that he hadn't been getting uh, uh, or he'd been getting slightly out of position in other games. And he really had a he had a huge game, as I'm sure we'll talk about later. We will. Wormley's workload almost tripled from last week or the week before. And uh, LJ Fort, which I'm sure we'll talk about more, especially in the, the jumbo nickel, uh, he he doubled his play from the week before. Right. 30, 34 non-penalty snaps for Wormley. I'm sure you can get that other places, and it, it'll be slightly higher because it may include things like false starts and other penalties right. that, that are that are not included. Could include kneels and spikes as well. But uh, but anyway, those are... Those are where we are. Um, let's see. We talked a little bit about that. The, the regular nickel, they only used it four times the entire game. The regular mm-hmm. four two five nickel, it's just a little bit too light, I think they thought, to use against San Francisco. So they did it a little bit, and they got away from it pretty quickly um, in, in terms of using that. The 3-3-5 the, the nickel and the base was what they really liked to play, and then when it's passing situations, they jumped all the way to the dime. And they and they brought that in. They did have 17 snaps of, of dime. You know, one of the things we talked about a number of weeks ago was that I didn't think Levine was going to lose his dime back role. Yeah. Given the show, but he has. He's he's now he's on the sidelines. Yeah. He's well. He's really lost well, his car. Yeah, you're Clark right. Car comes yep. in. He plays. He plays deep safety, and then and then Clark moves up and plays the um, the dime role. And Clark, Clark has been a terrific player, but this was a game where Clark really showed, although I think he was one of the Ravens' best players, he really showed he's a little smallish to be handling the run against the big boys in a game like this. He was he was frequently blocked on those big run plays as well. Not that I mean, I, poor guy had no chance against uh, Kittle. I mean, Kittle, yeah. there's a few times blocking him off my TV screen. I'm like, where did Clark go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So with the, the dime they used, mostly in the first half, 11 of their 17 snaps, they used it. But... The race car package has been something that we've been seeing to, to generate pressure, and 11 of their 17 dime snaps, they brought in that modified race car, which is now they don't have five outside linebackers anymore to play. They only have four, and then they also use a defensive lineman. In this case, it was mostly Brandon Williams, who's, who's you know come on as a pass rusher the last few weeks. They've been using him more in that, in that role with four outside linebackers, and they, they did – some reasonable jobs. What they did reasonably in terms of pressure, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, a lot of that came from that modified race car package. Mm. All right. Anything else about packages you want to say before we move on to the pass rush? No, I mean, no, no. I think I said everything that I needed to. I think that, like you said, with Wormley and Ford's load going up, conversely, Jimmy Smith and Peters played a bit, a bit less. So you yeah. saw less there because they're in the dime less often. Uh, well, Humph- Humphrey's on the field for every play. Yeah. So when, the, when they're in base, then they have to make a choice between having Peters on or Jimmy Smith on. So they weren't, they weren't playing Jimmy Smith. They, they were more not playing Jimmy Smith. Well, I thought I had a pretty good game, but they were more not playing him. He only got, I got it here, 34 total snaps in the game, whereas Peters got a few more, 43 snaps in the game, and they had 52. Non, yeah. Where's Carr? So, what did Carr have? Carr had 26. He, yeah. he was in for the dime packages. Yeah, that's a good question. Where did he pick up his extra snaps? He must have been in there for some jumbo nickel or something. Well, I, I was going to say one of the things I had seen when the Ravens had become better against the run, I, I don't know if it was, like you said, Ward came in. I saw so many defensive backs 
jumping up there at becoming way more aggressive on those outside runs. Brian Carr had a, a very nice tackle. I think it, I think it was against monster. Uh, mm-hmm. when they started, I think it was in that fourth, that fourth quarter, uh, those plays that set up the the fourth and one that Wormley knocked down. I mean, the defensive back started just jumping into those holes and getting those guys before they could get much more yardage. Mm-hmm. And Carr was one of them. Yes, I I am seeing Carr was in in this jumbo nickel. They're playing a fair amount, so that that I think that really explains it early on in the game, and then again early in quarter three. Okay, uh, let's continue on here. Okay, so pass rush. Let's talk about that. Um, okay. Ample time and space, 8 of 23 snaps, 35%. It's a good total, but it's less good when you look a little bit under the hood at what was going on there. They really had a lot of balls that came out quickly where the pressure would have developed, but but uh, Garoppolo is a, is a fairly quick trigger and got rid of the ball before the pressure developed in those cases. And they really only had eight pressure events in the game. Now, I wouldn't be terribly down on that. I'd be okay with that mix if they weren't expending a lot of assets rushing the passer. But this is a game where the national media may come out with this. They use a a specific definition of blitz, which means you you rush five or more on the play. And they rushed five or more on 20 of 23 plays. So the national media may come out and say, oh my God, the Ravens blitzed the hell out of them in this game. And they (laughs) get 20 out of 23 times. Well, they did this very vanilla five-man rush they weren't particularly successful at it. They gave up eight, eight yards per play with when they were rushing five men. And they used a very limited set of deceptive elements in this game. Just just four total deceptive blitzes, which means they have two of the elements in them. Twelve blitzes from off the line of scrimmage, four stunts, and only two two-man drops, which is very unusual for the Ravens. They normally want to have more simulated pressure than that and drop out of it. Uh, so it was, a, it was an odd game of the pass rush I wouldn't say it was not an effective game for the pass rush I don't think that they got some of the help they would have gotten from the secondary and other games where the footing was more clear either um you're right about the national media I mean if you're not watching you know the Ravens on a weekly basis then uh you don't understand that this is scaled back for Wink Martindale (laughs) big time here's my question why do you think Wink went with that strategy I, I I can only think that he thought it would bother Garoppolo to see a fifth rusher that he was somehow counting them. But there were so I mean it was it was the same every time. I mean usually there's tremendous variation with Wink, but he blitzed five on sixteen occasions, four on three occasions, and six on four occasions. So he almost never varied. There's no there's no big heavy seven eight man rush. There wasn't a three man rush where he's just trying to fool everybody and and drop everybody to coverage or you know alternate coverage he did drop pierce once into coverage and it was strange because garoppolo scrambled on the play and and slid right down in front of pierce for his pierce's only tackle of the game but uh it's it's it was just an an oddball game of not the usual level of aggression we're used to from from martindale yeah well what's what's interesting to me is i mean i i agree there wasn't um it didn't feel like there were there was a ton of pressure on him. Although obviously they got uh, the sack strip, Pierce was in the backfield a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that. But overall, and I don't know, maybe it's just my opinion. I don't feel like Garoppolo um, had a very good game. Even even with, I mean, he had a very good first drive, very good dr- first drive. That fourth and two where they went super aggressive. That was a thirty three yard. Um, pass another one that had gone for 
30, I believe, was more of like a, a dump down and then yep. uh, his guide to the rest of the work. So he had 66 yards on the first drive and less than 100 yards the rest of the way. Granted, they were having a lot of excess, uh, success rushing, so he didn't need to do as much. But overall, I'm just like, well, you know, I don't know why Martindale went vanilla, but I don't feel like Garoppolo really killed him outside of that fourth and two in the first drive. Right. I, that's uh, that's the way I'd call it, too, is you know, certainly good overall rating. One touchdown, no interceptions, always good. So he, he, he was safe with the football. He didn't get sacked a bunch twice for eight yards. Not that big a deal. Uh, so it's just, uh, you know, looking at it, I'm after that first drive, you're right. It wasn't it, they didn't do a whole lot throwing the ball. Very similar, actually, to Jackson really after the first drive. Does his fumble count happened. in the in the passer rating? No. No, and that's and that was that was a big mistake for him. So that's as bad yeah. as as Jackson's fumble, anyway. <laughs> right. Well, so. for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it's like an interception, which would have you know hurt his his passer rating. So, I thought that I thought his passing stats were um, I don't know. They made him look better than I think he actually was. All right. All right. Well, fair enough. I mean, I, it is a if they had a dry field, that's another place where I think the Ravens could force Garoppolo to look down the field by taking away certain players. And, and what I'd look for in a rematch is to have Clark be the guy who was responsible for Kittle. Because I think he's the he's not physical enough for him, that's for, that's for certain, but he can stay with him, and we've seen him stay with other tight ends effectively. I just would hate to see him be on a linebacker and, and have too easy a job, right. too easy a, a way, uh, breaking away with speed. Uh, you know, and, and dealing with that. I think Clark is, is the guy, just much like Jefferson would have been the guy if he were still healthy. All right. Um, let's see. Anything else about this? Obviously, the big pass plays hurt the Ravens. Uh, they had an 18 plus zero in terms of air yards. They had the 29 plus four for the TD. We mentioned a three plus 27 to Bourne, which was the long one that you mentioned earlier. So that was a lot of the passing yards right there in those three plays. It wasn't uh, it wasn't too much otherwise than that. But, you know, they about matched that and all their other passes put together. Talk about some individual performances. Yeah. Sounds good. Why don't you pick a player and then I'll pick a player. We'll do it that way. All right. Well, I'll, I'll do uh, a positive note. We've mentioned him a few times, but Chuck Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck Clark, to me, is just one of the unsung heroes. I know you talk about him a bit on, on this show, but I think um, more broadly, I, I you know, he's just an unsung hero that people just don't talk a lot about. And because you have these big names like Earl Thomas and Humphrey and Peters and Brandon Williams, but I think every good defense needs at least one or one or two Chuck Clarks who are just these dependable, uh, smart. He's he's kind of a quiet guy who's in the right place when you need him to be. So he doesn't usually have these big splash plays, but he finally got one um, against San Francisco. I mean, that sack strip, um, it, it looked like the 49ers totally saw him coming on the blitz. Uh, running back, picked it up, cut block him, and he somehow, you know, just with, with one arm in the dirt, found his way to stay on his feet, and, and um, who was it? Was it Jiha Ward who, who got yes. the, the pressure? And then he comes back, finishes it, punches it out. Uh, I watched Garoppolo's press conference. He said he thought that he had it nice and secure, thought he was just going to be taking a sack, but but he said he punched it hard enough to get it out, and the ball was wet. Um he just, he just, to me, was 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 everywhere. I mean, he did, uh, again, Kittle got him a few times blocking. Uh, but I think he tied, yeah, he tied Humphrey for seven tackles for the lead on the team. Um, 
He he put the pressure on Garoppolo when he did that that flip on third and six. Yes. Uh, it sent it to fourth and one. I mean, they ended up converting because the bogus PI and Humphrey, or at least if you're going to call that, you got to call the one yes. against Mark Andrews, <laughs> which we won't get into. Just looking for a little consistency here. Um, but, but man, I'm just, I'm just so happy for Chuck Clark. I mean, he, if, you know, at the same time, I, I feel really bad for, for Tony Jefferson, who's a great guy, a great leader, but Chuck Clark would have been stuck behind, behind those two guys. And, and he's just, he's phenomenal. I'm glad to see him get his, his chance. And uh, I think he's really helped change this Ravens defense. He certainly has. I mean, he's a defensive signal caller. There is so much about Chuck Clark that I like in terms of what he brings. But, I, you know, just starting with his playing ability, he's been he's been very good there. He's been good covering tight ends. He's been a good coverage player, period, since he's taken over at safety. He's played the run reasonably well, probably not quite as well as you'd expect to get from Tony Jefferson. But Chuck Clark is also very good about knowing what his assignment is and knowing where to be. Um, if if I have to pick the other thing, though, the versatility he's brought to this team has been tremendously valuable. The, the, the whole the whole win against the Patriots with him able to play basically in the the dime back role, call the defense against the Patriots ultra fast no huddle was allowing them to get in blitz calls very quickly from the sideline. They play the Patriots again. That no huddle, I don't think the Patriots will try it again. I, I think that's <laughs> he the, was that I, good. Yeah, he was he was that good. They'll get their blitz calls in quickly. And and you know, the the danger would be if the game was in New England, it might be different because they can they can do things and make it more difficult for the defense. But but I think including, you know, blowing up the headset as they they've been known to <laughs> through with it there. But but they in any case, they they can they can do things to make it more difficult to get that the thing called in Baltimore, even with the, you know, there's a lot of noise for the defense to 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 make their calls out there, but Clark seems to to be able to communicate them very quickly, and they all got them done. They got some substitution done against the no huddle. I give him credit for some of that as well. I just I loved what he was able to do there. You know, he obviously has played other positions for the Ravens. He's been a big nickel when they had two safeties healthy. He's played on the back end certainly enough. I think he's an okay cover two safety. I, I just I don't want to put down his playing ability, but but what he's brought in terms of signal calling and versatility has been so valuable to this team that I think the discussion really needs to be now, do you sign him to some sort of long-term deal this offseason? And I don't know where, if there's a sweet spot that they can agree to or if Chuck Clark will feel like, no, I really got to play another season to establish a reasonable market value or if there's a, you know, a, a, a Bart Scott kind of level, I'm going to call it, of three years, 15 to 18 million that would make him happy because he'll play for 3 million next year. So if you, if presumably if you want to sign him for three years, 18 million, you really give him seven and a half million for each of the two years after that. That's the kind of deal that I think might make sense to both sides. He's in year three right now. He's in year three. So earliest he can be signed is after this year. So he's an RFA year coming up. Actually not RFA. He's a, he's a draft pick. So he's signed. So actually it's the price tag actually comes down a little bit. Because he, he's he's a six round draft pick, he's going to make pretty close to the league minimum as in his fourth year. So you, you can you can knock three million off that number. It's really more like fifteen million for three years, is I think the amount that would excite him to secure his football earnings life and then still have a free agency opportunity after six after years. That. Yeah, well, I mean, all he has to do is look at his buddy uh, Tavon Young or a Wasso or or a Wasso. Oh, exactly. Where Owasso didn't, didn't, I mean, if he, if he had done a deal after last year, I mean, after this year, I don't think he's going to get one. 
uh, at least as big of one as he could have had last year. I don't know if the Ravens offered him one. Um, Brent Urban is and, another who lost a lot of career earnings. Oh, today. my goodness. And and the Ravens, I mean, to them, it's whatever deal you give him, it's probably going to be cheaper than what you're going to be paying uh, Tony Jefferson in terms yes. of this, this upcoming year. And, and maybe and maybe long term because Jefferson got his after yeah he hit he hit free agency so um, I, I mean I could I mean there's definitely motivation for Chuck to do it certainly on the Ravens side it, it does seem to make sense to me to to do a Tavon Young um, kind of move yeah the the other guy who was who would have been a good candidate for this contract unfortunately I don't think it's true anymore I don't think they can do it would have been Skura so Skura oh, you know before yeah. the injury would have been a guy I would have been really advocated signing to a, a long-term deal right now. I think he's the kind of player who's that mid-range talent uh, who, who you, the club and the player can both see the value in coming to a, coming to a divisible benefit level on that contract, which gives him a lot of the money that he might get in free agency, but doesn't fully recognize that value because it's a year early and it's a lot safer for the player. Um, I just, I, it's, it, it was tragic to see Skura's injury occur and and you know that the you know the potential cost to him is just very large you uh, you really hate to see that i mean guys like him who are undrafted free agents i mean practice squad works his butt off i mean thrown under the bus by ravens fans and media and -hmm. just keeps his head down and keeps grinding and then he has this big year Uh, at the same time from a ravens perspective i mean and it's still early i mean it's been a game and a half for mccary um but my goodness, what I mean, that's for you. T- I, I, I'm jealous of whoever your guest is tomorrow to talk about the offensive line. But, uh, you know, I mean, this this guy coming in first start against this defensive front and the Ravens didn't skip, didn't miss a beat with him in um, bright future there. Yeah, he, he looked good in the game. Maureen and I just scored it just before literally before this episode. So I just want to look through it because I haven't even tabulated it yet. But it looks like we've got him for. A fair number of missed blocks in this game, but only one charge. So what's, there, there's some things that go, are going on. He faced some long-arm defenders across from him, and this was a game where he had a couple of times where he was shed or flipped to the ground. So uh, his score will be okay. It won't be fantastic uh, from from this first game, but I thought he I thought he looked pretty good. And after those couple holding penalties, the, it's a much better result to get shed at the line of scrimmage and lose that situation than it is to to hold on that play. So, mm, yeah. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll get into that tomorrow night. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I thought I'd give you since you were jealous, I wanted Pre- to give you appreciate a that. Thank you for that. Really note. Uh, okay. All right. So where were we here? We got I, I my turn to pick a player now. So you picked you pick Clark. Yep. Let's talk. We talked a little about Ferguson. We're going to lay off him because I think that's uh, that's yeah, enough. I on had him. him originally. I'll take him off. <laughs> okay. I, I'll I'll talk about Jimmy Smith because he's a guy I thought had a really good game and and it was limited snaps. But he was only targeted three times, did give up an 18-yard gain. And, and when you think about that, when you, when, you, when you look at that, it looks like he gave up an 18-plus-0 gain, which is a lot of air yards. It's not necessarily a good thing. And even though he made a good tackle, you don't like that. But the truth of the matter was he was left alone with an ample time and space opportunity in the middle of the field with no help. And he has to play more like a safety in that situation. And I think we were talking once in the preseason, and I'm trying to remember who it was. It might have been Cyrus Jones got caught in the middle of the field on a similar play. And, and I, I praised him a lot for that because in his case, it was an eight-man rush with three receivers. So it's Cyrus Jones 
on that man. If he can't make the tackle, that's that's a touchdown. Yeah. Well, Jimmy Smith was in a somewhat similar situation here. I don't know if it had been a touchdown, but it had been a very big play. So that 18 plus zero is not too not too bad. And then two others, he was in the immediate vicinity of the ball. It had to be thrown off target in both cases, maybe once intentionally and once not by uh, by Garoppolo. So I thought he had a, a, a very solid game. Uh, the Ravens, my recollection is they were a little bit better with Smith in, let's see if I've got this actually correct, against the run, the large reason being that he's a little more, or the potential reason being he's a little more physical. Yeah, they gave up four and a half yards against the run on 15 carries with Smith in the game. A little more physical player on the edge than than, than having Peters in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm being very <laughs> generous to Mark Peters, who's a great playmaker. But, uh, yeah, anyway, anything about well- Jimmy? Well, I, to be honest with you, I would never have put him, it wouldn't have, you know, in my individual performances to, to, to put out. So I'm glad you did. Um, cause it didn't, he didn't stick out to me bad or good, but I will say there were a couple of, um, edge tackles that I was just like, he and Humphrey, it's just nice to have two physical corners like them, uh, who can, who can help out there. But you did mention Marcus Peters, which was one of my guys that I, I was going to hit on. <laughs> Go to it. Uh, Obviously, uh, okay, obviously, very rough first half, very rough rough first drive. Missed the tackle on the catch and run uh, to Bourne. He lost, I mean, the worst was probably, he just lost the ball on that third, on that fourth and fourth and two. Um, 33 yard catch uh, by Samuel. I mean, it just, he just lost track of it. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else you can say. It looked like he, he went to, it just didn't look good. I wouldn't even go deeper than that. He, he, he made, you know, he's made his career finding the ball in the air. Yes. He had whether it's on, yes. Whether it's on his receiver or not, effectively, the receiver faced no resistance at all in terms of going up and making that catch. I mean, he's, I, I've, We've not seen enough of Peters, or at least I have not seen enough of Peters, to know if he's a guy like Humphrey who instinctively goes up with the baseball bat of a right arm, or has that for for that matter, to to dislodge a football as it arrives. But it didn't look like that. Right. No, I I was thinking the exact same thing. I was trying to envision Humphrey on that exact same play, and I feel like Humphrey would have been glued to the receiver and had that arm up and just been trying to, like— even if he had caught it, trying to swap it out of his hands, so, you know, before he could make it an actual catch. Um, you know, his it, Peter's reputation coming in was that he wasn't a good tackler. You definitely saw that on the big whiff um, on that 40-yard run. Um, and then Earl, Earl missed the tackle too, uh, letting them score. Now, having said all of that, and he did not have a good game, I do want to point out a very good play from Marcus Peters which may have helped save the game. Mm-hmm. And that was in uh, third and seven from the Baltimore 14 in the third quarter. San Francisco is threatening to take the lead. And he, the, the Peter, again, I didn't watch much of Peters before he came, came to the Ravens, but from what we know of him, he is smart and can read routes. And so he'll jump them. And it seemed to me that they were, tr- Sanders was trying to bait him to jump a route when they're coming from the Baltimore 14, he has this stop and go route. Peters does not bite. Mm-hmm. He stays deep. Um, he, he, sh- and then he uses his body to shield the Sanders and from the ball in the end zone. And then from that, the 49ers were forced to kick a field goal from the 14. Yep. Had he, had he taken the bait, 
that's a score. Uh, that's a touchdown, and maybe the um, Justin Tucker kick is just a game-tying field goal instead of a game-winning field goal. So, uh, you know, I just want to point out both sides of that on Marcus Peters. I don't know that that play completely makes up for the two touchdowns he basically helped give up, but I did want to point out that he did have a, um, a play that, that could have ended very a lot worse, and I'm I'm glad that he – um, stepped it back up and was able to help out. Yeah, he had, he had another play on third down as well in the game on a third and four where he stopped a receiver for a three plus zero. That, uh, and I think he made the tackle. I'm, I'm going to try and find it real quick here uh, if I can. Yeah, it's uh, 516. Let's see. Q1, 516, third and four at the San Francisco 36. He got the stop on a three-yard pass that was three plus zero, and they had to punt on fourth and one. So drive-ending plays like that are big for cornerbacks. And you mentioned the other one. So he had two in this game. You know, obviously, given the way he's played for the Ravens, he's earned a couple of mulligans already <laughs> from, from sure. what he's done. And I think he did use one in this game, obviously. He was he – was, he and Ferguson probably on defense are the two players that I would point to as, as having the, the toughest day of it. Yeah. In terms of, of of what they did, but but you know he liked Ferguson. Each each of them had a had a little bit of contribution, at least from a from a positive standpoint as well. Yeah, so a stretch for sure. All right, well let's move on. Uh, is it your turn? Your it's my turn, right? Your turn. Let's let's talk about Chris Wormley because he's really my guy in this game. Yeah. So fantastic game. Uh, uh, reemerged in this role that he doesn't always get to play, which is the five tech. Um, and, and really it's clear that it's a more natural position for him. Some of the things that he got to do, you know, in terms of occasionally facing a double team and just making the best of it, which is what exactly happened on the game winning defensive play. That oh, stopped I'm glad you pointed that down. out. He yeah, never was, was double teamed. And I saw a third, a third offensive lineman get a hand on him too, but it was mostly, mostly that, that double team. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, as Wormley is, it's often the case, he realizes where he is. He's not at the quarterback. He got his hand up exactly at the right time. Now, I don't know what he can see in there, but his hand flashed up at exactly the right time to bat down there. And it, it's, it would be hard for me to believe that he can really maneuver his hand too much from left to right. He just kind of has to have a decision on when to get that hand up. And that was a good time. <laughs> that was a very good time. Very good. I think Wormley probably had his best game as a Raven. Um, but he finished with four tackles. He had the half sack. I really give it. He shared it with Earl, but I, I think it was mostly him. I mean, uh, listen, he just for the, the batted pass alone. I mean, he probably had one of the, the best games on the defense. Um, but but just a, just a, a, an all around great game and his best as a Raven. Yeah. Yeah, the sack was a was a uh, run around the pocket S zero. It's it didn't end up being a usually valuable play as opposed to just even throwing the ball away. Um, Thomas on that play, by the way, registered half a sack. This is the, the difficulty of putting this in a, into a sentence is now funny because it's the first half sack, the first fractional sack of Thomas's entire career. Oh, that's right. And, and so now it's like, well, he got the first sack. Well, he got the first half sack. Yes. <laughs> so it's, well, and I it's, didn't hear Earl talk about it afterwards, so I don't think he's counting it. And he's been talking about wanting to get one. So, yeah. 
Well, that's, that's, uh, that's good for him for not bringing it up because he, he'd face a lot of grief, I think, if he probably did from his teammates anyway. Yeah. That's, uh, that's one of the things. But, uh, yeah, Wor- Wormley, just a, a, a fabulous game otherwise. Here's the big thing for Wormley from a looking at what was happening in the game. Now, obviously, when they have Wormley in was a lot of the times that they had three defensive linemen in. So some of that is part is is a part of this. But they had three defensive linemen in a lot of the game, and it wasn't always Wormley. But anyway, the point of this the point of this was is that they had 22 rush attempts with him on the field for 88 yards. That's 4.0 yards per carry, which doesn't seem great. But when you consider that they they rushed for 6.0 per game, yeah. you realize it was. In fact, without him, they had seven rushes for let me get this right here, 86 yards. So <laughs> so a little wow. bit over 14 yards per carry without him in there and four, and four with him in there. So he, he did his job. That's a great note. That's a good one, Ken. He, he absolutely, yeah, that makes me even like him even more. I didn't even know that note <laughs> from that game. All right, Sassini. You got a, You got anybody else you want to talk about? Well, I, I'm actually, I don't have a lot to say about him, but um, I wanted to get your take. I just, a, a note, I had noticed um, Pro Football Focus gave the highest grade to a defender to LJ Fort. I know that you had him down. We talked about him in the Jumbo Nickel. Um, so, yeah, he got good grades both against the run um, and and against the pass. So, uh, to me, I, again, the, Jimmy Smith was one I didn't really see as good or bad, and I wanted to get your take on Fort. Yeah, Fort had one good play in the game, uh, the, as I saw it, and it was on a short pass to the right side where he went over and took him down for a – it was a minus one plus four, I believe. I've got it on my coverage sheet here. One second. Yeah, it was minus one plus four – that kept them a yard short of converting on third and four. That's a high value play. I don't want to. I don't want to misunderstate its importance at all. And he played the jumbo nickel. The Ravens gave up as much yardage with him in the game as they did with anybody else in the game, meaning that they 5.8 yards as opposed to six. So I don't think he he did that much to stop the run. It seems like a slight overstatement to yeah. give him some huge grade on this particular play. Not that he played badly or anything. I just think it's an overstatement of value in terms of relative to the rest of the defense. Yeah, but I, I saw I saw the grade too. I, I just it's one of those things I'm, I'm I don't I don't like to bash PFF. I generally encourage people get the service. It's really worth it particularly in in relativizing to the rest of the league, but uh, some funny thing has happened in relatively few plays, particularly if somebody has a high, single high value play like an interception or a forced fumble, or in this case, a drive-ending tackle. Yeah, well, that's I, that's why I wanted to get your take, because when I saw that he was the highest-grade defender, I was like, I must be missing something. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was the, it was the one play that probably helped him out then. All right, you want to play MVPs with me? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, I got a guy we didn't even talk about yet, but you go for your number three. Well, we could have had the same list, but to, to have fun, I'm going to switch out my number three, and I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to say Humphrey because of his blocked punt on special teams. Uh, Uh, Massive, massive play. I know we haven't talked much about special teams. Uh, So I'm going to cheat and slide him in because he's a defender. Uh, Although I don't think he had a a bad game either on defense, just not one that particularly stands out compared to his past games. Uh, But he's always a workhorse. And then he was was pretty – he was pretty excited about his his blocked punt too. He even tweeted about it. He tweeted about it today. So wanted to slip him in there. Blocked field goal, right? Blocked field goal. What did I yes. say? I blocked punt. That's okay. Oh, sorry. Blocked field goal. My bad. So, 
So, yeah, it was worth points. And, you know, obviously it was the difference in the game in terms of a huge special teams play. Harbaugh, Harbaugh pulled that out in his press conference, I saw too. Uh, I wasn't enamored with how he played defensively in this game in terms of things. Definitely wasn't one of his better games of the year. But I accept the fact that that's an enormous special teams play. While we're on it, Josh, do we have anything else coming across on special teams? We can hit that yeah. right now if you want. Yeah, we were just going to bring up the whole special teams and Harbaugh today calling these three game-changing plays. And obviously the Tucker field goal is game-changing because the game gets locked up. But uh, how do you def- do you define these other two plays as game-changing? Which would be the, uh, the cook, uh, Chris Moore getting the ball down and then the, the block. I mean, I mean, they're massive. Obviously, you don't even have to speak to uh, Tucker. I mean, he mm-hmm. misses it. You you go to overtime. Um, it, and my goodness, that man in that pouring rain, um, the field conditions couldn't have been good. Uh, the wind, who you can, you were there. I don't know what the wind was mm-hmm. like. It seemed like the rain was going in all different directions. I mean, this this man is unbelievable to me. I mean, to have the the ice in his veins that he has. I mean, obviously that's game changing. Uh, Humphrey was obviously the other one. And again, if he doesn't block that again, then that means Tucker's is is game tying instead of game winning. I mean, it's it's massive. And then <laughs> Sam Cook. Who we've been joking we should change his title from from punter to holder mm-hmm. uh, because it's been so long that that he's had to have a punt. And then so he just comes out there as if to say, "I'm going to punt this in a way that, in case you forgot, if I'm not the best, I'm one of the best punters here. Let me remind you." And of course, he gets a massive assist by um, Chris, Moore. Chris Moore, who you know I've I actually got questions leading into this game of like, why even activate Chris Moore? He's not doing anything on offense. And it's like, well, this is it. The Ravens see Chris Moore as a core special teams player. He has, by the way, partly he's not playing on offense. Did you see the cast on on his arm when he goes down there to, to down the ball at no, the one? I, I missed that. Yeah, go back. He's got this black cast on because it's his thumb. And so, you know, I don't know that he's going to be catching many balls or, or returning any – kicks catching any of those kick kickoffs to him but i mean he runs down there so fast gets down there pins them at the one um just just three excellent special teams and and this is why i mean people joke about you know harbs being the special teams guy this is why in games like that when it's this close special teams becomes the difference and it was on sunday yeah, that that drive, of course, the, the, the 49ers held the ball for a little while on that drive. They had it for about nine plays, and they moved the ball out to their 32. But they did it from their own one. So they didn't move it past midfield and then punt the ball down to, to, to the Ravens' one. They punted the ball back to the Ravens, and the Ravens started at their own 41 instead of their own way back. Wasn't it wasn't put, a particularly good punt. Yeah, he flipped the field. Yeah. So it's, it's just uh, it was outrageously good. So I I, I agree on that. That uh, we I guess we're past the special teams play. Maybe we better continue with our MVP stuff. I just want to make sure we get those recognitions in there properly. You gave your number three guy, and I will give mine is Michael Pierce. Now Pierce came back in the middle. We really had hoped for his return. I think the best thing I saw out of Pierce in this is that he got some pressure on Garoppolo. Two separate instances I have him as as uh, as getting a pressure. Uh, he just 
remains active, has a very big motor for a big man. He was in there. He was physical. The fact that he was in there, I think, kept them running to the outside, which was, uh, you know, didn't end up being good for the Ravens. But, you know, he, he can only do his part <laughs> to a certain degree. And then one time he's asked to drop the coverage and then uh, Garoppolo takes off and slides down right at his feet almost humorously. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was great. He That was smart. That was smart of Garoppolo. He, Pierce looked very fresh to me. And mm-hmm. obviously, because he's he's he had the injury, but uh, you know, I do wonder. I mean, those two free agent pickups again, Eric DaCosta continuing his streak of of getting great street players in the in the middle of the season in terms of just being able to plug them in. And I think having those two guys in the way they played allowed the Ravens to let Pierce make sure he's one hundred percent. And and I like that. You know, you you have the option if you wanted to have more of those interior guys to keep them fresh, which you talked about earlier. And I and I love seeing him in the backfield. The Ravens need pass rush and a great place to get it from inside. Love to see him in the backfield. Well, it's it's interesting. Down the stretch, they have a couple options, and and you'd like to have two anyway. But they used Ricard some on this modified race car. I don't really think they want to do that. Ricard is too important to the offense to be taking risks with him, uh, and, and and they really just can't risk an injury. They need him as a receiver as well. This is one of the funny things. He went one for two in this game, but the fact that he's getting targets now is telling me they really want to continue doing that. The the thing that gets me, though, is that they, they really need to have two guys and not just one that they're happy with playing that nose tackle position when they have a five-man rush with their dimes. So they have four outside linebackers. They've been using Brandon Williams. I think he's been doing a pretty good job. Michael Pierce could also be the other guy with that package who would just give people fits on the inside and potentially force other single teams. So even it may even force a double team on him in order that you have to keep in an eligible receiver Mm-hmm. as a as a response to it. So I just I, I love what he brings uh, to the field and to have him back and healthy would just be huge down the stretch. Talk about getting paid. It's gonna be one of those guys. Yep. Uh my number two, we've already talked about well I went back and forth. Uh, I put Wormley number two. Okay. Fair enough. We talked Could about easily be line. number one. Yep. Could I, I put Clark at number two. I, I the re- the reason I ended up downgrading Clark, even though he had a huge play that set up a score and Wormley had a, a, you know, a drive ending play that also set up the clinching score. That's huge. But I, the reason I put Clark at number two is because he was not as effective against the run. And a lot mm-hmm. of the problems that were happening were, were in part due to him, but he did have four tackles that were defensive wins and, and that ought to be recognized, but that was my differentiation between the two. And you, and I had Wormley at one and I'm hearing that you had Clark at one. Correct. Yep. All right. All right, they will split the award, and should one not be able to? <laughs> Josh, how are we doing with mailbag? All right, let's get to a few mailbag questions. You guys really got into the defense this week, so some of this is overlap. But let's get down to it. Uh, first up is Mitchell, who's saying, the Ravens the past few weeks playing these big teams have done a good job of shutting down a playmaker on each team. Uh, what did the Ravens' game plan? How did it come down to shutting down Kittle? Yeah, they did. They did some things with Kittle. Uh, Clark was on him some. Uh, they had a linebacker on him some. They probably had other uh, things they were doing to him that I didn't notice. Uh, somebody suggested they had Earl Thomas on him. I did not notice that, but I think it was pr- primarily Clark or a linebacker. He was not out in the pattern on every play. He did some blocking at the line of scrimmage, and he did some. Uh, 
uh, you know, blocking obviously on run plays. So they did a good job of, of shutting him down as a receiver. He only had two catches for 17, if I recall correctly. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I, I mean, I know just based off the question, you know, it wasn't much. <laughs> yes. Um, and I agree. I mean, it's I didn't see any single – I know that you said you would like to see Clark on him more if there was a rematch. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, I almost feel like don't don't fix what's not broken. Uh, they used a, a host of different people on him. Um, uh, I mean, to me, what they more need to fi- fix if there was a rematch is is trying to neutralize him and in, in blocking in the in the rushing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was tremendous there, but excellent job on them not letting him make big gashes in the, in the passing game. Right. He had, he had the excellent diving catch in the game, but he actually only had two receptions on four targets for 17. So that's that's neutralizing a big player. Massive. All right. If you had the option to give a two-year contract extension for next season, would you give it to Ward or McPhee? Okay. So I, I'm going to assume that that two-year contract extension is at a reasonable price, and I might set the reasonable price as a little higher for McPhee. In fact, I definitely would. But if if I can have... McPhee at two years for five million, six million. Let's say two years for six million for McPhee, or I I pay two years for four million for Ward. I'd I'd be at equivalence at, at that level. How about you? Um, I mean, neither guy. I mean, is is I mean, I don't know why you can't have both if you wanted both, but I don't think you're gonna you know want both. I just went with the younger player. Um, you know, Ward is twenty five, I believe. Um, McPhee, who is, I mean, he plays like a Raven. He's nasty. He brings a big locker room presence. If you want to bring him back, you got to get more outside linebackers because Ward will likely make it through a season. McPhee, you don't have that same confidence, which is what happened this year. I mean, I think, I mean, we all predicted, I heard you predict it. We all predicted it. If you kept playing him at a high rate, he wasn't going to make it through and he didn't. Um, so if you want to keep a guy like that, that's older and you want to keep him for veteran presence, great, but he can't be the main, the main guy like you were using him. You got to get a lot more help. Okay. Your argument's much better. I I did not realize how young Jihad Ward was 25 years, 205 days old. That is young for a guy who's in his fourth year on the defensive line. I I would, or outside linebacker in his case, I would, I would go with that too. I would. Yeah. And and I, and I looked into him. I, again, I didn't know much about him before he came to the Ravens. I mean, he he was what a he was a high round pick. I'm not I can't remember what what it was, um, but he was a higher round pick, and he's he's had some injuries, and so I just wonder if he's finally starting to come into his own now that he's that he's healthy. Yeah, I I, I was not aware of that either, so I'll just look that up. But uh, what's the next question while we're while we're yeah. doing that, John? Marcus Peters, you, you mentioned the bad game he was having. Is this just a bad game, or is there things that we you saw that we should be concerned about? No, I think it's I think it's it's Marcus Peters. You you got to take the good with the bad, and I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I am here for pick sixes. I'm here for him baiting quarterbacks. I'm here for him reading them. And then once in a while, he's just gonna look a little bit silly when he loses track of the ball because that's what he's playing. He's playing the ball. He's playing the quarterback. Um, and I and so I I don't know if it's an off day. I just think it's it's the risk that 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 come with the type of style that he plays and, and I'm okay with that. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I I am too. I think the the bigger issue for me is, is his physicality something that the Ravens are concerned about at corner? And I think the answer is no. And we lived with Ed Reed here in his 
declining years. Declining is the wrong term. In his later years, when he became less physical, obviously had some problems with his neck and shoulder and whatnot. But you know, it, it was it, that was perfectly fine because Ed Reed exuded fear, put a blanket of fear over wherever he was, such that Brady has to have it, you know, monogrammed on his on his <laughs> wrist bracelet. I think you get a lot of that from Peters as well. And the more he plays against the AFC teams and the more they, they get to remember who he was at Kansas City in terms of really understanding exactly how to bait a quarterback and they watch films on that, the more we'll see the impact of, of that fear. So I, I think he gives the Ravens a very strong presence on one side of the field. A game like this against a team that runs the ball and runs very heavy and plays very heavy is exactly the kind of game where he gets exposed a little bit in the run game and, and his, his lack of physicality might be an issue. And unfortunately for him, on that touchdown, he got caught on the TV camera looking confused. Yes. Yeah, yeah let me just say, uh, John Ward, you're correct, uh, Sarah, again, 44th overall in the 2016 draft, so second yeah. round of the Raiders, and says here, after dropping because he had a knee injury that was expected to require arthroscopic surgery. That's probably written by a relative, this Wikipedia. But anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I to well, and I think he also had like another foot deal or, or something. So, uh, yeah, that's why I'm taking him over, right. over McPhee. Good call. All right, let's uh, close out the mailbag with the football kid who's looking ahead to January and wondering about the Chiefs and why is it that the Ravens have so much trouble with the Chiefs? Okay, so it's, it's, I'll start. They played them twice in Kansas City, so let's start with that. I was going to say that. That was going to be where I was going to start. Yep. I, I don't think the, – the, the Chiefs both times – actually, the second time – got ahead and stayed high. The first, the first time they trailed when, when they got the, the long punt return. Jackson put the ball in the end zone to Brown, went up 17-10, to 10, and then they came back on the 4th and 12th play. And that was really where Romo began his jump up and down. I told you so about the Ravens need to rush from cover zero because of who they have in the secondary and, and take their chances. And that basically worked for them the rest of the year after that game. So it taught them an important lesson. I, I Personally, I don't think the 2019 Chiefs have nearly the high octane offense that the Ravens have. So I don't think they can keep up score for score with the Ravens. Uh, and, and defensively, I know they can't. Yeah, I, I, yeah. First of all, if if the Ravens and Chiefs meet in the in January, it will likely be in Baltimore. Um, again, uh, what's what's the Chiefs? I mean, I don't know how many games behind they are from from Baltimore. They've lost four four games, so they do have the tiebreaker. But the Ravens have to lose two more games than the Chiefs the rest of the way for that game to be in Kansas City. Yeah, I, I don't think the Ravens are are gonna have a meltdown like that. Uh, so it's going to be in Baltimore, which I think, like you said, is big. And and I just see it as as the two losses. I, I see it as for for two completely different reasons. I think that first year, uh, Lamar came, was nowhere close to hitting where he is even now, and I still don't think he's he's hit his potential. Um, so I see that more as 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 a rookie game, uh, as he's just coming in, taking over for Joe. Um, and then this year's game, I see it more as a defensive problem when the Ravens, that was a 500-yard game they gave up, and then the next 500 was against the Browns, and that was when the, John Harbaugh and Eric DeCosta were like, we're done with this and started making big changes. I don't know what their ranking is now, but from week five to going into the 49ers game, so five, weeks five through 12, I believe, the Ravens were ranked number three defensively. This is a very different defensive team, even with those <laughs> edge rushes they gave up yesterday. Um, 
I, I just I, I like the Ravens' chances in a third a third uh, re, or the third time playing in the second rematch. Yeah, I agree. Co- completely changed defensive team. Obviously, they cleaned up what was happening inside linebacker. They traded a guy and they benched not didn't bench a guy, but greatly reduced his role. And and so that worked out. They obviously added Peters, and then they had Clark in there as the signal caller, which tightened things up tremendously. So lots of changes. All right. Well, that takes care of it for the mailbag this week. Remember, get in your questions so we can uh, anything offense related we'll deal with tomorrow, and then anything looking forward to the next game. As uh, who's who do the Ravens play this weekend? It's the Bills, right? Yes, the Bills in Buffalo. So get in your questions for that game as well. Um, Sarah, anything to plug for you besides your Twitter? No, that's just where I live these days when it comes to Raven stuff. All right. Are you you on there the whole week then pretty much, or is it – what's your situation? On Twitter the whole week? Uh, You have a tweet deck up the entire day, and you're checking it every 15 minutes, or how how much (laughs) are you – this is okay if you must know. Um, I am a classic minivan soccer mom. Mm-hmm. I am constantly in the car driving kids around and going to different things, constantly watching them practice and encouraging them there and having my phone in my hand. And I just, uh, somebody asked me the other day, they were like, why, I can't remember, like, why aren't you doing either TV or podcasting full time. And I was like, I just don't think producers are scouting, you know, soccer moms in a minivan. <laughs> right now. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I got, I just, you know, got the phone in hand as I'm trucking these kids around and going to all these sports and dance classes. So it's a lot of fun. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. Believe me. And, and I, I, while I would wish you all the professional success you'd like to have doing this, we'd love to have you here as either a guest or a full-time partner or whatever you would like Sarah going forward. I appreciate it, Ken. I respect a lot of what you guys do. A lot of it. Not all of it. But <laughs> that's good. Okay. Just want to make sure about that. All of oh. it. <laughs> I can over on Film Study Baltimore, the offense break or the defense breakdown's already up there. The offense will be up there in a few days as well, along with this podcast. And something we haven't talked about yet that's been on the website for a few weeks now is at the end of every article you have posted, it says continue the discussion on the uh, message board. That's right. So Purple Flock Message Board is a group we've uh, come to an agreement with to direct our traffic there and hopefully to get the discussion going. So what they did is they set up an entire uh, section that is all about the film study podcasts and uh, and articles that are out there to just discuss those there. And they have a, a, a core group of very interesting and dedicated uh, readers and interactors there. Several really big ones. Edgar, who's been on this show before, a really a great offensive line guy, a really has a deep understanding of it. We've had him on the show before. We're going to have him on again next week. Uh, you know, is a guy you, you can get in contact with. There's a number of others who are into analytics over there. Uh, B more B, and uh, and there's others as well that are that are there. But anyway, I really encourage people take a look. Join Purple Flock. Doesn't cost you anything. It's completely free. And try to get involved in the discussion over there. In some ways, I think people feel like they'll put, they'll leave comments on the articles, but you might get a better response from a broader group of people if you leave your comments on the Purple Flock message board. Now, we can take them either place, but we're actually looking into – we're still looking into this, Josh, about the possibility of comments that occur on our it will articles. Be a, it will be eventually. Over eventually. Okay. Um, okay. But, yeah, I am someone who's – 
doesn't go on message boards and do my football talk on Twitter, but I'm amazed on how busy that forum is and how much uh, much more detailed conversations are happening in a lot more space than 240 characters. There you go. Yeah, those are people. Those are people who want to give you a long answer, and that's kind of that's kind of good in its own right. And you, uh, you, your stuff has a little more permanence out there. When you say something, it's out there, and you, people can go back to it. It's just it's easier to to deal with. Buffalo Sunday, sun, <laughs> partly sunny, forty five degrees for a high on Sunday. I think this is a very significant issue for the Ravens is to not have this game be completely dominated by precipitation. Only 20% chance, 17 mile per hour winds predicted for Buffalo. All right. That that's good. So that's about the same temperature as this past Sunday, but a little drier, right? A little drier should be easier to run the ball. The field shouldn't be completely covered in ice as it sometimes can be in December in Buffalo. That was my real fear from earlier in this year. So they should be able to do some of the things that they normally do with, with the offense. I will just say this quickly, and I'm sure you'll cover it more in your offensive podcast, but um, Lamar Jackson has had many challenges to him, and he's overcome all of them. So I'm sure that this will be another. But his next challenge is to be a better passer in the elements. He, his two lowest quarterback ratings have been in the rain, Sunday and then versus Seattle. He, if I don't know if you watched the presser, I mean, when they asked him, he like bent over the, the, the podium talking about how much it affected him. This is a big deal come January. Big deal come January. He's got to overcome that. I'm sure he will. Uh, but I think that's the next challenge in front of him. That's it's a, it's a good point. I mean, obviously, the rain at Seattle did cost him some completions, particularly Mark Andrews is, is still looking down at the ground trying to find those. And it's, it's a he's not. He's not the only quarterback that loses quarterback rating in bad weather. For sure. Yeah. Um, Joe Flacco was not one of those. He was like the opposite. <laughs> so. yes. He was very wind resistant. Yes, yes. All right. Well, um, we have plenty of defense now to, to digest over the next 24 hours before we get into the offense. So have a good evening. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.